Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hola, Pepe, que quiere marcharse de ese miedo. Miedo de momento está enchufado. Ahora, justo lo digo, y justo se pierde. Ay, a punto ha estado de cometer penalti. Pepe, 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 gol de Nicolás. is Arsecast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, that hurt my ears, but I think it might put us in the right kind of mood for this particular podcast. Yeah, that's the best I could muster. I was thinking, it's, is it a good morning? It's not quite a bad it's not, morning. Yeah. It's just sort of like... Pure frustration yeah. on my part. I, you know, I'm feeling a weirdly, strangely kind of furious, but somewhat positive at the same time, and yeah. also angry. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, I can see silver linings, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot to get through, I think, because it really was an eventful game in many ways. It was a bizarre a bizarre game, you know, considering uh, I can't remember the last time we ended up with nine men. When is the last time we ended up with nine men? Like ten mm. men? We've done it lots. But nine, was it, was it, I remember a game against Tottenham. Didn't we end up with nine men against Tottenham when I think Freddie Jumberg and could have been Martin Keown got sent oh, really? off? And I think Possibly. Freddie Jumberg kicked in a door at White Hart Lane. Um, <laughs> but that's some well, years ago that's now. fair enough yeah I'm trying to think uh, was there an occasion at Anfield I think that was 10 men I, I, I can't remember too many nines mm. you don't see it often you um, certainly don't although we did see a nine at Old Trafford bloody hell well, what, what a weird night of football it was all in all yeah I mean if we're talking about red cards the guy the one the Southampton guy picked up after what 90 seconds <laughs> on his first start for the I mean what the fuck I mean he mustn't he must really not like Scott McTominay so yeah. anyway it was incredible let's not waste any time talking about Southampton or other red cards because we've got loads to get into yeah, I, I don't know how you feel about this but I think I would prefer to deal with the, the stuff that went badly first and then touch on what was good about last night from an Arsenal perspective I think because I, I, that's yeah, absolutely the right way around yeah we're, we're kind of a little pushed for time this morning so we've got like an hour to get through this and the questions and everything else so I, I feel like we need to finish part one on the upbeat part uh, of things and we can deal with the other stuff we're one nil up we have a goal kick 
we we think halftime is coming and everybody is basically readying their, well, that was a really good half from Arsenal tweets at halftime. Yeah, and I tweeted mine by mistake. I just pressed, I had it in drafts, really hmm. good half from Arsenal, maybe should be further up. Yeah. Uh, and I accidentally tweeted it. And then within three seconds, a penalty had been awarded and I I just deleted it immediately. It was yeah. like, that was a terrible grave error. Everyone's going to blame me. Yeah, it wasn't really your fault, uh, in fairness. Uh, yeah. But yeah, look, I can see why you deleted it. Look, I, you know, it was a positive half in general, but it ended in a really uh, disappointing and frustrating way. So... Uh, where do we where do we begin this particular discussion? You know, there's there's layers to this because, um, yeah, I don't think it's a foul, I don't think mm. it's a penalty, and I don't think it's a red card. Um, I know some people will differ with that, uh, but that's just what I think. I think it's absurd to lose a man for that. I think it's ridiculously harsh to give a penalty for that you know if Louise had tapped his ankles but by all means but this was this was just accidental purely accidental and I know David Louise has got form and he's got history and everything else uh, which I think played a part in the referee's decision because he just saw a big woolly head and something that Definitely. looked clumsy and just went oh well of course and I you know uh, this this exa- the frustration of that is exacerbated by the fact that VAR looked at it and and you know upheld the referee for his decision. So, um, yeah, on the very, the, the, the nuts and bolts of that uh, incident, the contact, however you want to look at it, where do you stand? I mean, first of all, can I just say, I hate doing this. I hate talking about referees and blaming decisions. Sure, it's, sure. I find it so infuriating and, and boring. But today, and this is not the views of, I should point out, the athletic or children's television, I think all <laughs> referees are fucking nerds and should get in the bin. I'm sick of them. Yeah. I am really sick of them today. And, and, and this, that can't be a red card. No. It can't be a red card. I mean, the, the thing that really, the absurdity of if he had made a challenge, he'd be booked. Yeah. But j- because the guy's heel happens to hit him as he's running near him, it's a sending off. Yeah, it's nonsense, isn't it? It's absolutely nonsense. You know, he couldn't have made a genuine challenge for the ball there anyway. I mean, that's the reality of, well, of where only, it was just only, too far behind, you know. It would be a professional foul. Yeah. Go, you know, it, it, that would be arguably, in my opinion, more uh, egregious uh, uh, an, an act. It should That's more likely yeah. to be a sending off or should be more likely to be a sending off. It, I mean, there are lots of reasons to be frustrated with Louise. And I know he gets himself sent off far too regularly, but... I genuinely think here he's just kind of trying to stay out the way. Like he let the guy's gone. Yeah. He's keeping pace because obviously if the ball rebounds, he can't just stand 30 yards from his goal. He's got to follow the ball to an extent, but he makes no attempt to bring the guy down. Yeah. I mean, I've seen people talk about this idea that, you know, he's, he's an experienced player and, you know, he, he knows that like running across the back of a, an opponent, you know, it might look accidental. I don't even think that's what's going on in this case. I genuinely don't. I mean, we can all see David Luiz is not fucking subtle. He's not a subtle player. Yeah, the yeah. fouls he makes are not sly. They're not. They're not. They're not like uh, difficult um, for the referee to spot. You know what I mean? When he makes a foul, it's really fucking obvious. 
because they're usually so stupid. And look, I'm saying this as somebody, uh, you know, people who listen to the podcast regularly, who read the blog, will know that I am not here in any way to excuse stupidity or rashness, rashness mm-hmm. or carelessness or whatever it might be on the part of David Louise. I, I'm just not here for that. On the last podcast, we were asked a question very specifically about, you know, yeah. should we renew him in the summer? And I said, no, we absolutely should not. I'm not here for any more of David Louise. But I feel in this particular circumstance, this was extremely harsh. Where I have some maybe criticism of Louise is that he's an experienced player. He's 33, nearly 34 years of age. He's played 7,000 games in his life for Brazil and for, for all the teams that he's played for. And where he makes the mistake, in my view is challenging for that ball when it's headed back from the goal kick. We think the the halftime whistle is going to go. You know, uh, he has been accused sometimes of of sitting too deep, which is mm-hmm. fair. I get it. When you're in the middle of a game, you might want your defender to push up. In that, in that situation, if he's just sitting off, the guy has to run at him and, you know, he can make a foul if he wants to and take a yellow card if he needs to in that situation. So that... You know, I can see why there's criticism uh, over that. But in terms of the the incident that saw him sent off, it's just absurd. It is ridiculous. Uh, It's not a foul. It's not a red card. It shouldn't be a penalty, even if you think it's a penalty, you know, to, to compound that by reducing a team to 10 men for an entire half. It's just not, uh, I don't want to say it's not fair, but I mean, it's, what is, I, yeah, it's just fucking infuriatingly bad decision making well, from the officials. It's not, it isn't fair because it's not the kind of offence that should merit a red card. It's too harsh a punishment, yeah. basically. A penalty and a sending off is too harsh a punishment. They brought, they changed the laws to kind of bring in this idea of double jeopardy. Um, and you couldn't, you know, get you can't get sent off in that situation if you attempt to make a challenge now. This is effectively a loophole that exists because. Mm. Uh, you know, this this law was brought in to prevent people making very cynical challenges when the ball's no near them. And in this instance, it's been applied in such a way to send off a player who didn't make a really. Yeah. It's just trying to stay out of trouble. I mean, I, I I agree. You can look at the incident and question the defending from Arsenal more generally. I think it's far too easy for Wolves to get in behind. Yeah, the line is ragged. I think there's a bit of a confusion between Louise and Partey about who's taking who and you know that's not the first time Arsenal have struggled with a with a long ball into sort of the centre circle area this season it's a bit of a recurring theme but nonetheless I, I yeah I can't get past the decision mm. and I was so gobsmacked when I saw the replay to be honest when I saw it in real time and he goes through on goal and he goes down mm. and Louise kind of moves across him and you see the red card come out I assumed he tugged him back yeah, I was me like, too. Yeah. I was like, he must have pulled him like he did against Liverpool. And I was like, you know, I sort of was like, bloody David Luiz, he's done exactly that thing he always does. And then you watch the replays back. And I sort of thought, I don't know if you had the BT Sport coverage, but I mean, I thought I must have been watching something different to the commentators. Yeah. They were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There he is. He's got to go. Uh, I mean, God love Martin Keown. I, I, I love Martin Keown, the footballer, but I wish I didn't have to listen to Martin Keown, the pundit, because... His his commentary and his analysis of it, I thought, was really lazy and really based on like a stereotype of a player. Yeah. Um, 
and was not related to the incident at all. It was like, I, I literally was going to my, look at my TV being like, are we all watching the same thing here? It was crazy. Well, I mean, look, Martin Keown was a man who made tackles and made fouls throughout his entire career. And if he's justifying a red card on the basis that the Wolves players heel hit Louise as he was running behind him, I mean, how does that tally with the way that Martin Keown played? And, I'm, you know, I'm not saying I've got any issue with that, but it is just this. I, I agree with you completely that the idea that this was somehow a stone cold red card, there's no question that, uh, you know, he has to go. There was nobody saying, hang on a minute, this is this is ridiculous. Even when the fucking Peter Walton's guy was on, the ex-referee pointing out the absolute absurdity of the situation by saying, well, you know, if he had made a challenge, it would be a yellow card. But because he didn't make a challenge, it's an immediate red card. I mean, that is, you know, if it's the letter of the law, the law is absolutely ridiculous in, in that sense. But, you know, I have sympathy for Louise in that microcosm, in that split second. And I think that's that's kind of what did us in this game was, was a couple of split seconds where where maybe just towards the end of the the first half we lacked a little bit of focus we didn't stay uh, fully switched on and were punished like unbelievably harshly in yeah. many, you know I, like, I think it can be a penalty by the way i mean i i, I, I accept that a, t- a tangle of legs in the box you know that's the the slightest of tangles the, the sort of at the very border of the interpretation of what that could be but it, it is the equivalent of a guy kicking you know when the you know when the um i mean the one that always drove me mad was when a when a, a player pushed the ball beyond a goalkeeper then left his leg out and hung yeah, his yeah, leg yeah. into the goalkeeper. I mean, it is the equivalent of that. The well, contact, Robert Perez did it, didn't he, against Portsmouth? Yeah, but I mean, Robert Perez, well, Wayne Rooney did it all the time. Harry Kane does it all the yeah. time. So I don't want to, like, put this on the one time Robert Perez did it and became a pariah for it when there are so many English... Michael Owen did it all the time. You know, English players did it the whole time as well. So I'm not I'm not here to, to put it on Perez, and that's not just because I love Robert Perez. But, you know, it is it is this this weird thing that that... I don't know how it's become accepted within the game that that can be a penalty when you know if the goalkeeper takes the legs away from an attacker absolutely that's a penalty if an attacker starts falling and then throws his legs into a goalkeeper it should never be a penalty and I think in this case we have a, a an accidental collision in the box you know players can accidentally make contact with each other I think it's a, I think it's very harsh to give a penalty I think it's extremely harsh to give a red card and you know the consequences of that from an Arsenal perspective were were too great you know for one lapse in concentration to be uh, to get a goal against you a penalty and a red card you then have to play 10 men and in some ways, obviously, the fact that we were down to 10 men played its part in the second sending off because Leno was, um, you know, he was having to be a bit more proactive in terms of mopping up. You know what I mean? Tenth man, yes, yeah, yeah, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, it is. And I'd be fascinated to look at kind of the, you know, we've seen some crazy results in the league this season and everyone's saying, oh, it's very open and anybody can beat anybody. I'd love to look at the weight of penalties in that do you know what I mean like mm. because it feels like it's now so easy to get a penalty and in a low scoring game those moments have huge significance and huge weight um, and I do wonder if it's contributing to yeah. 
some of the results that we're seeing. Um, well, if only one of us worked for an organisation that had a, a raft of stats guys to make yeah, long read articles about it, James. You know, just those guys don't talk to me anymore. I've, right. I've spared, they've spent too long looking for centre <laughs> midfielders. And stuff. But, but I mean, the other thing to say about the whole incident is that if he hadn't given a penalty um, and it had gone to VAR, I don't think VAR could have overturned it. Surely, do you mm. know what I mean? Which mm. I think shows that, like on the kind of spectrum of how much of a foul it was. Um, it's not really that yeah. far along. And so the punishment does just seem absurdly high. And it, it, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't often feel like this, but I was honestly like, I, I almost can't watch this at this point because yeah, I'm so pissed off. Yeah, I was really annoyed about it. And like, there was a there was an incident up the other end of the pitch when Saka was... Uh, there was like way more contact on Saka in the box for a penalty that wasn't given. And like, I'm not saying that should have been a penalty, but if the bar for awarding a spot kick is as low as what we saw with the David Luiz thing, then, you know, how do you, how do you tally those uh, two incidents together? And, and, you know, for me, when it, when it comes to a penalty, um, I always try and look at it through the prism of like, okay, how would I feel if that was given uh, against us or if it happened up the other end, right? Mm -hmm. So when we uh, sometimes get a penalty and there's a decision uh, that goes our way, you look at it through the eyes of the opposition. If it happened in our box, would you be pissed off if it was a penalty? I have to say, like, if a similar situation had happened at the other end and a Wolves defender had... uh, accidentally, or or let's say Aubameyang or Lacazette or whoever, had kicked the knee of a Wolves defender and gone down in the box and we'd been given a penalty and they'd been given a red card. Like, I'm not going to lie and say I'm going to sit here this morning and, and complain because, you know, I'm not fucking stupid. At the same time, though, I would still feel the punishment was ridiculously harsh. Ridiculously harsh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's kind of a loophole in the law, isn't it, that's been... Um, shown up a, a, a gap essentially and yeah. desperately needs correcting and yeah I I, I mean listen the, the amount of sendings off we're getting in this team at the moment and the amount of games that are swinging on that mm. it is kind of extraordinary I do think you can look at it and say as we said you know the defending wasn't great and the concentration maybe wasn't there mm. and he runs off the back of Louise too easily all those things are true but yeah, the punishment is exceptionally harsh. I mean, do you want to deal with the Leno one any further, really? Um, like I said, I think it is because he's having to to play as a kind of. Do you of think a that is a sending off? Yeah, no question, no question mm. for me. That's a that's a sending off. He came out, misjudged it, and whatever went on in his head, he just stuck his hand out, and you know, is again a split second of of madness, if you like, from a, a guy who's been, like, completely uncharacteristic for Leno. Whatever you might say about David Luiz being involved in way too many penalty incidents. And, you know, again, I'm not here to defend Luiz in terms of his history. I think some of his defending has been absolutely ridiculous. Uh, you know, but in, in this instance, I think he was, he was hard done by. For Leno, just a moment where... Uh, you know, the ball skidded off the pitch, perhaps, in a way that he wasn't expecting. And, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind that that is, that's a red card. Do you have any <laughs> alternative viewpoint on that? Mm, do you know what? It's, it's, uh, you do see yellow cards given for handling outside the area. I guess the difference this one is denial of a goal-scoring opportunity, right? Yeah. And that's what makes it red. Um 
I always think it's really difficult to know whether a player's going to get onto a ball or not. That, that That's my only sort of caveat to that. That's something you can't really tell. But, uh, yeah, it's a red card probably. Yeah. But, I mean... I mean, I can't remember if there was anyone if there was anyone covering. Yeah, try, uh, uh, no one covering really. No. And it was Traore, wasn't it? Yeah. So I mean, so if as, anyone's going to get it, it's going to be him. Yeah, I mean, he's as fast as balls. So you know, there's oh. no, <laughs> there's, there's no way. I, I, th- I do think it's just a kind of brain melt thing. Mm. You know, everything he misjudged it and he panicked slightly. And yeah. Look, he yeah, knew as well, straight away. Yeah, of course. You know, you, you can't um, you can't make any excuses for that. I, I don't think he deserves to be absolutely pilloried for it either. You know, it's just a, a, a really uncharacteristic moment from Bern Leno. Um, let's just talk very quickly about uh, a couple of things. Uh, at halftime, he took Lacazette off, which I thought was I was okay with that. To be honest, I thought he had a very quiet first half, and I think he was probably. Um, not a hundred percent from the weekend in terms of both effort and and the collision that he was involved in. I think uh, he'd a, he'd a very quiet um, first half, so I had no problem with with Pepe staying on. Where I had perhaps a little bit of an issue, and of course you'll never know, and it's just my my own personal viewpoint on this. I think getting Aubameyang on when you need to score a goal makes sense, but mm. I would have taken Smith Rowe off. And left Pepe yeah. on because, you know, we were going to have to sit. We were going to have to, um, you know, soak up pressure. But our chance of getting something from the game, our chance of, you know, rescuing a point or, or grabbing a goal was going to come on the counter. And I think Pepe obviously offers you more than that uh, than Smith Rowe does. So I was a little bit disappointed by by that substitution. Yes, I was too. I was disappointed to see Pepe coming off, especially after the first half that he had. Mm. I think he always gives you a chance of a goal, especially playing like he is at the moment. Um, that said, I still think with 10 men, Arsenal might have got something out of this game. You know, I, yeah. I, I really only sort of lost hope when it went down, when, yeah. when we went down to nine. It's almost impossible at that point. I know. I was watching on a, like my, my dodgy box. Um, right. And Andrew Allen just sort of sent me a like a WhatsApp or a, a Gmail message, you know, uh, going, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And I was going, oh, no, what's happened? Because <laughs> I, <was about, laughs> I was about 30 seconds behind. I was going, oh, I had this sinking feeling. I was waiting for something crazy to happen. I wasn't expecting that, you know, from Leno. But I do think you're right. I think, you know, with 10 men, it was certainly possible for us to get something from the game, and I'm not sure that that substitute particularly helped. You know, even with nine men, we had a chance late in the game, yeah. didn't we? When when Bellerin set up Aubameyang, a shot was blocked. Saka had a shot blocked. So, you know, it wasn't that we made the goalkeeper work or anything like that, but I do think with 10 men and with Pepe to perhaps stretch them uh, on the break, uh, you know, invite Wolves on, sit in a kind of, you know, two banks of four, play a 4-4-1, four, four, stick Aubameyang central, and look to hit them on the counter. So yeah, I'm yeah. not sure that particular part of things went well, which brings us to the first half. And I think this is where we need to, to focus really in that I, I thought until it all went wrong, the first half was really, really good. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I do think just sort of speaking more generally, I do think Arsenal were very unlucky to lose this game and I think it's a game of such fine margins and if you look at the decisions if you look at the the, the goal Wolf scored I mean the chances of that finding the exact spot it does um, from that kind of distance 
and the chances Arsenal created and the narrow margins by which they weren't taken or scored. Wow, I just, I really think Arsenal didn't get the breaks because I agree with you. I thought the first half was excellent. Yeah, like, I mean... I, I completely understand when people say, and even Mikel Arteta said it, we should have been three or four nil up. And, you know, you do absolutely have to make the most of your dominance in this league. And what happened at the end of the half shows you just how quickly things can change in a game of football because we were so on top. Wolves look, uh, looked absolutely ragged. Uh, we were bossing the game. We had the three best players on the pitch in Bakayo Saka, Thomas Partey, and Nicolas Pepe. And I think Granit Xhaka wasn't far behind them. And I think, you know, in, in the overall game, I think Xhaka had a very uh, solid contribution even in the second half. You know, this was a guy who put a lot into that game, you know, a lot of energy, and he tried to make things happen and press things even in the second half, you know, when it was looking a bit beyond us. So I think he deserves some credit. But, you know, you look at that chance that Saka had in the in the first minute, um, unlucky to an extent but maybe he should be hitting the back of the net there brilliant brilliant yeah. movement from him though brilliant pass from Thomas Partey Partey absolutely busted in midfield the, the the quality of his passing the long passing I know the ball's over the top but this ability he has to play this little kind of you know this kind of straight line inside pass when everyone's looking for him, he's going to go wide, he's going to go wide. And this is this is what's really interesting to, uh, to me about Thomas Partey is that he is like the spike in our horseshoe, if you like. Because as a team, we've been kind of predictable in that, okay, we get it, we put it to the wing, we circulate it, we recirculate, it goes to the other side, and we move in this horseshoe. But in, in Partey, we have a guy who's looking for a forward pass, you know, into feet, all the time when it's on he can play that pass and it, it changes the way that this team plays yeah it's a bit of a kind of circuit breaker really and and and, and in Smith Rowe and Saka yeah. and Pepe he's got great targets you know people whose movement is really good and who finding that space mm. I agree he was sort of imperious really in that first half I mean there was a moment I think it was actually in the build-up to the second Saka chance, the one where he kind of, um, where Cedric goes down the left and Saka yeah. spins and hits it. It's, it's a good save, I think, because he generates quite a lot of power from that shot, Saka. Mm. Um, but I think that move, and I may be wrong, but I think it starts from Partey receiving the ball kind of on the edge of his own penalty box and he just kind of leans one way and then bursts the other. He sort of dummies and then sprints away from his man and instigates a counter-attack. I mean, you know, that just adds another dimension to what we can do in the middle of the park. And I agree with you, Shaka was very, very good. It's not coincidence, though, is it, that he's looking this good, I think, with a partner of that quality. No. Partey is kind of elevating Shaka by... A rising tide lifting all midfield boats, if you like. Yeah, I think so. And we saw that with Mohamed Elneny earlier in the season. And we're now seeing it with, I think, a better player in Granite Shaka looking you know even even better alongside him yeah I mean we've said it before that when you take some of the responsibility off Shaq and also some of the pressure because all of a sudden the opposition have got you know a different problem to deal with in midfield with, mm. with Partey I think it, it liberates Shaq a little bit as well so um, but I agree with you look I mean Saka doesn't do much wrong on that no. early chance or, or, or the second one like where he sort of spins and hits it low but they are they are chances that you would I guess hope maybe one of them to find the back of the yeah, net. Yeah, I mean, look, he did find the back of the net with a brilliant shot as well, a brilliant finish yeah. with his right foot, and 
you know, um, it like was I such said, a good was... finish. I, I assumed it must have been a right-footed player. I only sort of saw it in flashes, and I was like, "Who's hit that?" Um, because it was just so so mm. well taken, um, and. You know, not for the first soft. time. Not for the first time, though, that no. we see Saka's ability with his with his right foot. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, and look, the, the goal that we scored, uh, a left footed player playing uh, and scoring with his with his right foot. Um, I mean, I think what's lost in what Pepe does with the ball to score the goal is the fact that he wins the ball. In oh, the first yeah. place, in midfield, you know, and it's not like he's he sort of chased half the length of the pitch, but it's just a good foot in to win the ball, plays it to Lacazette, gets it back, and then you know destroys Semedo. Uh, you know, maybe he gets a little bit of luck along the way, the ball breaks for him, but you know, nutmeg. You know, he's rewarded for his endeavour in a big, big way, and the finish is superb. It's a brilliant goal from from Pepe, and the work rate and the defensive intensity. <sighs> really has kind of just come into his game in the last few weeks and it, it's it's making such a difference and I think it's probably giving the manager a lot more confidence in him and in turn we're seeing yeah. that you know develop into confidence for the player on the point about him being a little bit lucky I mean yes when he goes through for the two nutmegs you know the, mm. the ball takes a nick off the opponent's defender I actually think that makes the finish all the more impressive because he goes to put it through with his left foot and it takes, uh, you know, it takes a, it comes off, I think it's Bowley, I forget, the second defender, and kind of goes onto his right. Mm. The speed at which he is able to kind of adapt his stride to that and then yeah. hit the ball with his weak foot into the far corner, it's really impressive. I mean, it's the reaction time, you know, the, the technique, it's a fantastic goal. And yeah, I feel for him because it's not, I feel like there've been a few occasions, I, I can't remember any specifically, but I have this sort of recurring pattern of him having quite good moments in games that Arsenal have ultimately lost or sort of not got a good result in and yeah. they end up not being remembered particularly well. Yeah. Um, and I don't think this will be one though, because I think he will have to keep his place from here. You know, you, he's undroppable right now. Well, that's it. He has to keep his place. And, you know, we just talked a second ago about how quickly things can change within a game. I mean, how quickly things have changed for Nicolas Pepe from a couple of oh. weeks ago when, when we were openly and understandably questioning what, what was going to happen with him and, and how he was going to get into the team. And look, I think he's, he's, um, he's perhaps been a bit unlucky not to play more this season, given the performances of one of the players who's kept him out of the team. But he's really stepped up in the last couple of weeks. And I think... You know, obviously the end product last night was great, but you know, in in the United game, he came close. But one of the things that stood out was the defensive work, the application, the discipline that he showed in his performance. You know, uh, positionally and in terms of what we did when we didn't have the ball. So, you know, this is a guy who 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 has struggled this season, but based on current form, he's got to stay in the team. Absolutely, has to stay in the team. Yeah, and that'll be an interesting conversation, mm. kind of figuring out, you know, how how yeah. Arteta orientates that front four. But I mean, yeah, it was just a really good first half. I mean, there were good performances all over the pitch. Central midfield, I think, was the standout element. I just was looking at it and thinking, what yeah. a difference a midfield makes, you know. Uh, we looked like a, a different team. Bukayo Saka was electric, I thought. Yeah. Um, could have had a hat-trick, as we said. I thought Cedric was pretty good at left-back, like really got mm. forward well combined with Pepe. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Look, I, I think there were a load of positives to take from that first half. And, I, you know, if I'm Mikel Arteta this morning 
and I've got to talk to my squad and talk to my team and talk to my players. One, I'm looking at using the sense of injustice that they all feel. And I think that was evident in some of the responses that we saw from the players. Um, With a question here, was it a question from the from the Discord? Uh, yeah, I think so. It was from Gagan J who said, do you like seeing our players having a dig at the officials on their social media accounts? I do. I liked it. I mm. liked it. Um, you know, I like the fact that there is this sense of injustice. And if I'm Mikel Arteta, that is something I'm cultivating ahead of the next game. You know, yeah. look at that sort of us against them. Look at that siege mentality moment. Look at the, the, the you know, stick up for your mates kind of thing and and everything else. And, you know, in, in terms of games that we've lost this season, most of them, you look at them and go, yeah, okay, I see how we lost that. Or, yeah. you know, there isn't really much you can take from it other than going, well, look at what we did wrong and this is how we're going to have to correct it. I think Arteta should be fueling that sense of injustice over the red card, but also focusing on what we did in that first half, how good we were, how well we played, you know, really hammering home the dominance that we had over a Wolves side and pointing out that it was only this decision and this moment that that changed the game in their momentum and changed the way uh, the game was flowing. You know, I, yeah. I, I feel like he could really make some hay out of this um unfortunate defeat but I think he's really got to focus on the positives and and make sure that this doesn't derail us or, or diminish our confidence because you know the way we played in that first 45 minutes on top of some of the football we've played in the last couple of weeks that's it that's that's what we should be doing that's what we're capable of um, mm. and yeah I mean I'm I would be I would be absolutely hammering that home if I were the manager and the coaching staff don't let the heads go down do not let the heads go down. Don't let them feel sorry for themselves. Get them absolutely fired up. And I don't think they will. I, I'm, I'm honestly not that worried about the result. Mm. Um, it was a crazy set of circumstances, a bizarre game. And that is going to happen in football. And it is going to happen, especially in this league, mm. and especially with the officiating that we have at the moment um, <clears throat> what you've got to do is, is maintain the performance levels and it's kind of a dual job for Arteta of completely compartmentalising the result yeah. but also as you say harbouring and, f- and fostering almost that sense of injustice and that yeah. determination to put it right yeah. um, and the good the good news I guess is they have a an obvious chance to do that against Aston Villa mm. on Saturday in what is uh should be a, a, a good game and I think a, a, a big test. You know, Villa have, have been okay this season. Wolves, yeah. uh, Wolves came into last night on really poor form and I think you saw that in the first half. But um, I, I really loved a lot of what Arsenal did. And yeah. my main, my frustration is with the referees, but my, I also was just hugely frustrated just to not see more of that performance because I was enjoying it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think if we go in 1-0 at halftime, we might be thinking, okay, we should have made more of that first half. But I also think we go on and win that game. I think we go on oh, and win yeah, that game yeah, for, sure. for sure. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. And it's been quite a while since I've had that level of certainty over an Arsenal 
result or our our ability to win a game. Do you know what I mean? A lot of the time this season when we've won games, I've been kind of like, ooh, you know, I'm not sure about this, or maybe we can hang on. Uh, you know, there have been a couple of exceptions, but in general, the idea that we are superior to the opposition, playing better than them and well capable of winning the game, you know, hasn't been evident in huge uh, swathes of this season. I think it was last night. So... Yeah. yeah. So there you positives go. to be positives to be drawn certainly. Yeah. Um and I guess, you know, I don't know to what extent our Premier League season is kind of already a busted flush, but like I I, I can't get too upset about losing a, another game. It feels that like it doesn't even really matter that much to me. I'm not sure I'm with you there. I mean, I, I'm frustrated by the defeat. I'm, I'm upset by the loss of points that I think we should have had because I do think if we'd taken three points last night, we're talking about the Premier League season. You know, it's open and I think it's still open and, and I've seen questions about whether or not we should just concentrate trade on the Europa League, etc., etc. I don't think that's possible. I think we just, you know, without being too overly cliched about it, I think we concentrate on the next game and the next game and the next game. You know, we can't just say, well, because the, the first part of the Premier League season wasn't great, we can just write it off. I think we've got a responsibility to, you know, to the to the stature of the club or, or what we perceive the stature of the club to be to finish as high as we possibly can, you know? And I don't know that you can just say, well, let's concentrate on the Europa League in case in terms of the Premier League that doesn't work for me at all it, it really is about building momentum and, and um, you know doing it week uh, week on week game on game you know you can't just pick and choose I, I get that there there might be a level of importance to the Europa League now but I just don't think you can you know you can't you can't view it like that you can't you can't focus on one thing without it being detrimental to the other thing in my no, opinion no, I, anyway I, I, I agree with that I don't think you can sack off the Premier League and that's not my suggestion I suppose I more mean that like the damage to our Premier League campaign mm. was done like has been done yeah. you are always going to have the odd game like this even when you're playing really well where circumstances conspire against you and you don't get the result um, but I still think we're in so much of a better place than we were that I kind of look all defeats mm. hurt but like if you're gonna lose let it be because of an act of like you know craziness that completely changes the course of a game rather than it be your performance yeah it's much easier to deal with when you know you've played well and it's not a case that tactically physically uh, you've been inept or subpar or you're not creating chances or, or anything like that. You know, it's it's much yeah. easier to to deal with this one and think, OK, we can respond positively because of what we did in that first 45 minutes. Uh, what we did, you know, between 45 and 47 minutes, different question. But, you know, overall, I, I think, you know. Yeah, I, 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 sorry to cut across. I no, was just thinking okay. that- We've had a lot of sendings off this season and I think there's a bit of a narrative of like, oh, what would Arsenal season have been if they hadn't had the sendings off? When the other sendings off happened, we weren't playing this well. Do you know what I mean? Like, no, it, exactly. It's not like we were convincing and then we lost a man and it all changed. We were pretty bad, pretty average and we lost a man and it got worse. Um, you have to look at the performance and the, the quality of performance in this recent run has been significantly better and, and that doesn't change because mm. we lost at Wolves. Yeah. Okay, look, we're going to do uh, some questions. So we'll take a quick break and we'll come back with those in part two right after this. Hold up. 
Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arscast Extra. This is part two where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter at Gunnerblog and at Arsblog on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. James, I'm going to go first today. Mm-hmm. And from the Discord, we have a couple of questions. First from Chicken Marmalade Flakes, uh, which uh, chicken marmalade sounds slightly delicious to me, but that could be just uh, my state yeah, of mind I, this morning. I saw a recipe, I think, for chicken marmalade mm. in... Nadia Hussein's cookery book. Ooh, well, there you go. It's a bit like bacon. It's a bit like bacon jam, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And bacony. Anyway, shouldn't work, but it does. Yeah. Uh, he said, "I saw Orbino's stat about Arsenal's disciplinary record under Arteta, but looking at them individually, they seem to be individual moments of madness. Pepe, Shaka, Leno, or from players with long-standing disciplinary issues like Luis and Shaka. The record suggests a wider issue, but I'm not sure there's much he can do to stop Leno from doing that. Am I?" wrong and also kieran e says how big a problem is discipline under arteta six more red cards than anyone else looks awful but i don't feel it reflects what we're we're actually seeing from the squad so you know arsenal have had nine red cards since michael arteta has taken over and the next highest is three so how do you view, how do you view what's going on there yeah, I mean, it makes arsene wenger's teams look you know very well behaved doesn't it but, yeah uh, i um I think there is a distinction, isn't there, between, say, the Shaka sending off the other day, it was up against Burnley, or the yeah. Nicola Pepe one against Leeds, and something like Leno or Louise, right? There's, there's a difference there, I think, qualitatively in terms of the transgression. One is kind of a loss of temper, basically, mm. and the other one is... Um, you know, a, a, a how can I phrase it? Almost sort of professional foul. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just a, a function of having made an error. Mm. Um, so I don't know how culpable I sort of make the manager in this. I mean, obviously you can have a conversation with them where you're like, and he said it publicly, we need to stop getting sent off. But I look at a situation like the Louise one and I think, well, he is trying to not get sent off. Mm. Like he's—he's he's not like he—it's not like he grabbed the guy or hung a foot in or. Um, yeah. 
but but I suppose when something is so much of a pattern, it's very difficult to ignore, isn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, I think I, th- I think it's kind of easy to look at every red card and say, "Whoa, it's it's a bit tight or it's avoidable." Like, yeah. you know, you're right. The 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 Shaka one against Burnley, stupid. The Pepe one, stupid. The David Louise ones <laughs> until yesterday, pretty stupid. You know, yeah. and in some ways, like a you think about kind of stupidity, yeah, stupid yeah, like uh, um, you know, the one against Liverpool. Um, I can't remember the bizarre excuse he came out with in the end. You know, it was really weird. But you know, that you think of the one against Chelsea, for example, and what was the Man City. the, the as well, as well. yeah? But I mean, what was the, the the catalyst for that one against Chelsea? Was a bad Mustafi pass, right? So that kind of put him in trouble. So you know, there are things yeah. that you can avoid doing. You know, Aubameyang's red card against Crystal Palace, split second. Enkedia's red card in whatever game that was, um, you know, that was a bit harsh. I think as I well. Mean, Gabriel red yeah. card against Southampton, I think you know, pretty pretty harsh, really. Even if it was a, you know, it was a bit daft. I mean, for two yellow cards for that. So, look, I think there is a pattern. Whether it's to do with stupid players, whether it's to do with the way we play the game, whether we've just had a really unfortunate run of bad luck. You know, you you can't say that Arsenal are a dirty team. You know, we're not a team that goes out and kicks the crap yeah. out of the opposition. So, you know, I think we were talking about this on the. Um, one of the Patreon podcasts that Hector Bellerin is the most booked player in the Premier League. Hatchet wow. man, hard man, tough tackling Hector Bellerin. Come on, give me a break. So I think I think in some ways, when you start getting a reputation for red cards, it can kind of um, self-perpetuate if that's yeah, and definitely. A, a phrase. If that's English, I don't quite know, but you know what I mean? Uh, and definitely that was a factor in in Louise, as we mentioned. I think, uh, you know, there are a few Arsenal players who have that reputation. I also, if you think about things like the Aubameyang one or the Nketiah one, you know, that's just a consequence of kind of what Arteta demands from his forwards, right? He, he demands a level of physicality and intensity that maybe those players aren't necessarily skilled at. Um, mm. And so there are clumsy tackles. Um, so there are kind of explanations. And as you say, like some of the Louis settings off, they're due to defensive errors, either his or someone else's um, or collective. So, yeah, there are kind of like explanations for them all. It is a, it, it has to stop, though, right? I yeah. mean, it, it's we're shooting ourselves in the foot here time after time. Um, and somehow... We need to get a grip on that. I, I do hope that kind of... I liked Arteta's post-match comments and that he really backed the players. You know, I think, again, that will help foster that sense of kind of us against the world. Mm. I just hope it doesn't sort of irritate the referees' union, as it were. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, at the other side of that is you, you, you try not to give referees decisions to make you know, and yeah. that you can be in some measure of control of. Obviously, not you know completely because the pattern of the game and the way that the opposition plays has a, an impact on that. But I think Hector Bellerin was right afterwards, where he talked about you know um, teams aren't beating us, which I'm not sure is um, 100% correct. In fairness, you know, at some points during the season, teams were beating us. We're losing against ourselves. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of red cards, that's what he's talking about, and going down. 
you know, to 10 men. You know, it's difficult enough. 11 versus 11 in the Premier League. 10 versus 11, it's really, really difficult. You know, you look at what happened to Southampton last night. I know that was a bizarre, you know, perhaps uh, you would say unprecedented, but it's the second time it's happened to them. Um, You know, but it's not normal for a team to lose 9-0 when you go down to 10 men. But, you know, to go down to nine men, you make life pretty much impossible for yourselves. So, like I said, I think if that game, if we go in at halftime 1-0 up with 11 men, I think we go on to win that game quite comfortably. Ultimately, we have to make sure we don't give referees decisions to make in those situations. Um, You know, as sympathetic as I am to David Luiz over the incident in which he was sent off, just use your experience and just sit and don't let that situation develop the way that it developed. Um, You know, there, there are certain players who just tend to be involved in incidents like that more than others. And he is mm-hmm. one of them. He is one of I them. Agree. And that's that's something that Mikel Arteta has to consider now when he picks his team for the rest of the season. You know, there are qualities and positives to Luis as a footballer, but he's like a, he's like a minefield. He's a magnet, isn't he's, he? Yeah, but he's a minefield stuff. because you can walk through, everything is fine, and just one wrong step and your leg's been blown off. Yeah, you're playing Russian roulette, aren't you, every time you play him and, you know, you never know when it's going to go off. Yeah. This this was one of those occasions. But, you know, Gabriel's going to get a chance at the weekend um, and it, if he does well, he might keep the place. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, that's how it seems to have worked for Arteta. You know, Pablo Marie came in and the place was his until he was unavailable. Then Louise came in, mm. place was his. So let's see. Now it's Gabrielle's turn. Mm. Um, Okay. Question here, actually, on the sendings off from Mac Andrews on Twitter. And they say, what do you make of the fact that both our players looked very guilty on the red cards and started walking off before VAR was viewed? We should be circling the ref and demanding VAR. And Shaka too, should have made more of Fernandez's challenge against United. Yeah, I I mean, that that stood out to me, actually, with the Shaka-Fernandez thing. Yeah. You know, the, where do you draw the line on, like, should your player make the most or make a meal of a situation to draw further attention to it? I don't really have a problem with it in that pretty much everybody else does it. Like, look at what Fernandez did to get Cedric booked. There was yeah. barely any contact there, but he made sure that it looked worse than it was. Therefore, Cedric got a yellow card and all of a sudden the player is, you know, in some way compromised because of that situation. And and that's not to... I'm not being critical of Xhaka here because, because of what he did. You know, some will say, well, that's the way players should behave. Um, but I also think that the onus was on the officiating and the uh, the ability of the officials to look at that situation with replays and everything else to make the decision there um as for louise i i think he just kind of realized what was going to happen because of who he is and his track record and his his um history in an arsenal shirt of doing things which get him sent off i think he just said well there's no fucking way i'm getting away with this one even if it was accidental and i think it was i do think it was accidental but you know if you're david louise and that happens to you and you see the referee coming over you know, what good is pleading your case? Yeah. You know, but I do. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I wouldn't have any objection if a, if a player did decide to make a bit more of it with the referees. 
Yeah, I think so. I think a bit of remonstration mm. you know, can go a long way sometimes. Okay. Uh, and actually, yeah, I, I'm just watching that referee yesterday, is it Craig Pawson? Yeah. I did feel like there were a lot of decisions where he really, how can I put it, before he blew, before he made a decision or before he blew his whistle or whatever, he, he was actually watching players' reactions and I felt like he reacted to players on like for, on a, quite a few fouls. It was yeah, I don't know if you noticed this, but on the... On the video, um, on the footage, you can hear the Wolves players shouting at the referee, that's a red card, that's a red card. Yeah, yeah, And then when he gives the red card, they're like, yeah! You know, so they're at it. They're at it. You know, so I don't, uh, you know... I think if you can't beat them, join them. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, there's no fucking trophies at the end of the season for for sportsmanship. There's a fair play trophy. Who who gives a fuck? Who cares about the <laughs> no. fair play trophy? You know what I mean? Um, you used yeah. to get into Europe for that. Do you remember? You used that to get was, into the Intertoto yeah. Cup or something. Right. Um, well, maybe that's what we're playing for. <laughs> we're not doing very well. I'm not, we well, I mean, we're top of the <laughs> top of the charts for red cards and yellow cards yeah. and everything else. So we're not winning that, that anyway. We're not winning that anyway. So, you know, go all out cunt on this thing. So, um, right. Here is a question from the Gooner Talk at the Gooner Talk TV, who says, should it be a serious consideration that should Ryan, Matt Ryan, not be fit one of the youth keepers be given the opportunity over Runerson, obviously for the Aston Villa game. He said it genuinely doesn't feel hyperbolic to ask that question based on not one, but all of his performances. Yeah, a lot of questions about this. I like this from Cody O'Brien on Twitter who said, the Premier League scriptwriters have decided to make us face Emmy Martinez with Runerson in goal. Don't you think that's a bit too much contrived drama, even for them? Uh, <laughs> and James Taylor, just to put the other point across, said, should we really be as worried as some people seem to be about Runerson? Apart from the Man City blunder, he's been absolutely fine, which is what you want from a backup, surely. Mm. Um, I asked you first, so you go for it. Like on a scale uh, of one to ten, where is your worryometer when it comes to Runerson being in goal on Saturday? Oh, eight. Wow, Great. is it not working properly? Because mine's about nine and a half. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was an interesting cameo he made yesterday. Obviously, there was the in- the, the moment where he kind of pet a check style passed it out for a corner kick. That was that was uh, alarming. Yeah. But, you know, it's nine men. Maybe the exit routes aren't there quite the same extent. I was fascinated as well that they got him to take that final free kick. It was actually a decent ball. But I was amazed. I have to be honest. Why? Because Because I I just think, is is a goalkeeper really the best guy to deliver that cross in? Well, obviously, you know, based on the delivery that he made, he's not bad. And yeah, I think yeah. when it's... Can you take corners then? <laughs> when it's, you know, 2-1 and it is basically your last chance to to get something from the game, you're going to put all as many eight. players, eight players yeah. in the box and then you get your goalkeeper to take it. It didn't make any sense to, to leave the goalkeeper behind. You know, you either send the goalkeeper up into the box or you get the goalkeeper to take it. And, you know, I thought it was a, a decent delivery. It and was, he, did, he did make a couple of good saves. He did make yeah, a couple of decent saves to. to him, and it's a high pressure situation. You know, you know that's his first appearance since that Man City game, isn't it? In you know, and he was bad that day. He's coming on with 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 Arsenal two one down, down to nine men, and you know I'll be honest with you, I kind of feared 
that the scoreline might get away from us based on yeah. you know the 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 fact that we had nine men and we had a guy in goal whose last appearance was as shaky as it was so no, i think he did okay with, yeah. with the exception of that aberration yeah. of a pass yeah um which there are some mitigating circumstances for i mean my answer to this question is i'd be doing everything i could to get matt ryan out on the field simply because of the premier league experience mm. um uh, you know, I just think that he, you know, he was brought in for a reason. Let's hope he can play. I wouldn't, if it's a high pressure situation, I don't think it's right to put one of the young kids. in. No, I don't think though. so either. I don't think so either. I mean, like it or not, Runison might well be our best option uh, for the game on, I, I, on I Saturday. Think, I, yeah, if Matt then, Ryan's yeah, not fit, yeah, I think that he is. I, I think that there's obviously a. a a discussion to be had as to why that's the case. Mm -hmm. But if he is essentially our third choice goalkeeper, then, you know. This is where we are. I mean, uh, Arthur Conquery was with the squad yesterday. Uh, He was the extra man, I believe. So, you know, I think he would be kind of the next in line. He's been training with the first team recently, but I just think to throw him in at this point you know, he missed a lot of football last season as well with a health issue. He's 19 years old. I don't think that's viable. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so either. You know, because you'd be accused of hanging a a young goalkeeper out to dry in some ways, you know, by throwing him in in that situation. And then what you also do is whether he's got any real, you know, long-term future with us or not, you, you render Runerson uh, irrelevant do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I yeah, think yeah. there are and- there are layers to it. I'm not I'm not saying I'm confident about Runison, but you know, if Ryan doesn't make it, he is our next best option. Yeah, and look, I mean, he's he's made some errors already in his time at Arsenal, but he has played a hundred first team games. He has played seven times for Iceland. I mean, mm. you know, he's a pro. It, some he, he's he's the better bet than an untested kid, mm. I think. Famous last words. Yeah, and maybe you know it'll be important that he plays well because we're not going to score past Emmy Martinez. That's absolutely written in the stars, isn't it? For sure, there's absolutely no way that any Arsenal <laughs> player is going to be able to score. And of course, Emmy Martinez is going to put in a flawless performance. There's yeah. no chance whatsoever of him making any kind of error or being beaten from short range, medium range, or long range even maybe giving away a penalty. Uh, Being sent off even. Being sent off. There's just no chance of any of that happening. Zero percent. Zero chance. So uh, come on, Runison, if you're playing, (laughs) let's let's have... uh, I know we said this before, right? That uh, in some ways he reminded us a little bit of Alex Manninger. Yeah. You know, physically, this is it. This is the moment uh, that Runison can become like that, that Manninger who was crazy effective for about 13 games, however long he was in the team for, for David Seaman uh, when Seaman was injured he's, that season. He's going to be super motivated. I mean, listen, as bad as the Man City game was, you know, he'll be desperate to put that right. Yeah. Um, I, listen, I, I hope he can do it. But yeah. if, if, if I had a chance of getting Matt Ryan out there, mm. that's what I'd be doing. Mm. Uh, let's have another question. Uh, ah, well, uh, uh, what about, uh, oh, I liked this one from Matt C. I'll be interested to hear what you say. Morning, folks. This is on the Discord. 
Question about something other than the refereeing yesterday. Thank you so much for that, Matt. In honour of Shkodran Mustafi's departure, what are your most memorable moments of his time at Arsenal? His departure. <laughs> it, what, it did feel like quite a relief, I have to say. Mm. I absolutely loved it when they announced it. I, I really yeah. felt like, thank goodness for that. What a disaster. Look, I mean, I discussed this, I think, on the Patreon myself and Andrew Allen did a yeah. podcast uh, looking at the business that we did in the, the January transfer window. So if you're a Patreon member, you can hear that. And we had a little bit of a Mustafi discussion, obviously. Um, you know, you could go th- through the, the litany, the roll call of, of moments that stick out, you know, the, the sliding tackles, the falling over, the not mm. knowing what was happening, the conceding goals and blaming other people, the Zaha thing, the many issues against Crystal Palace. Um, you know, all of those various moments in his Arsenal career, which I think um, epitomize his time at the club, you know, but what 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 I think is the most frustrating thing about Mustafi is, like, if he was, if a player is absolutely shit all the time, it's like, okay, well, he's just shit all the time. Yeah. But when a player can be quite good, but then intersperse the quite goodness with moments of just absolute shitness, for me, mm. that's much more frustrating because it mm. speaks to concentration and application and and things that you should be capable of doing better. Well, it, it also sort of has that unfortunate effect of kind of encouraging persistence in them with mm. them because they'll have a decent run. I mean, Mustafi had a couple of pretty good spells in yeah. the Arsenal team. Uh, I mean, when he first arrived, he's obviously one under Arteta, I think was kind of another, but then there's always something around the corner. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, managers yeah. kind of get sucked into thinking, oh, maybe he's changed. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, no. Maybe. If he could he just be still... like this. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he could just stay this way. Yeah. But he will always revert to type. Yeah. The iconic Mustafi moment for me, the one I that instantly comes to mind, is the League Cup final one. Because <laughs> I, I, I just... Maybe yeah. it's because it was a cup final, but it's just such a baffling piece of defending that, yeah. Yeah, I like, I mean, how do you it. even explain it? How do you explain that a, a, a senior professional, an international, I know people call him a World Cup winner, but he played about, you know, I don't know, he played in the opening two group games and then didn't play. But, you know, he is a World Cup winner in that sense. You know, he's part of the squad. Mm-hmm. But how do you explain to any young kid watching what he was doing there. Sometimes you can see a defensive mistake and you understand why. Okay, he just gets the wrong side of him. He reads it wrong or he's, you know, he's turned too easily. You can see... But that that was just like... I don't... Still can't explain that. I suppose the one thing that we should point out and the one thing that I would like to uh, remember Shkadran Mustafi for is his contribution to our FA Cup final wins by getting injured in the build-up to both finals in 2017 <laughs> and 2020. So thank you very much. Yeah, very grateful. Yeah. Very grateful. Okay, that. here's a question from... Oh, it's on the Discord as well. It comes from Simon Thomas King, who for a long time on the Discord, I have been reading as Simon, the Mask King. Um, 
which is much more impressive than Simon Thomas I King. wish he was the mask yeah. king. You're going to have to change your name, Simon. Um, Does that mean he manufactures PPE and he's I, like really lucked out? With well, I was thinking more along the lines of the, the sort of V for uh, Vendetta masks or... Sure, what was sure. that film with, um, with Keanu Reeves and they all wore Ronald Reagan masks? Point Break. Those oh, kind of yeah. masks, you know. Okay. Those are, but I'm anyway, with you. that's by the by. Anyway, he's not really a mask king at all. He's just a Simon Thomas king. Anyway, he says, Morning, gents. Does Aubameyang come back into the team for Villa? If so, who does he displace? This is the one. This is the tricky one. I mean, I think um, I've got two options. So one option is to say Lacazette. Uh, who has started a lot of games recently. Mm-hmm. He, he did obviously only play 45 minutes um, against Wolves, which might make uh, us to think I'll persist with him. If he does, I think the other choice actually might be Emil Smith-Rowe uh, and to play Saka more centrally and play Pepe from the right and Aubameyang from the left. They're the two options as far as I can see. Mm. I don't think you can drop Saka. I don't think you can drop Pepe. Yeah. I don't think so either. I think I would be inclined to to give Lacazette a rest. Yeah. So. I only say drop Emma Smith-Rowe, by the way, because I sort of didn't expect Emma Smith-Rowe to play this game. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I wonder when he'll get that rest. I think uh, it'll be Saturday and I think we'll see Martin Odegaard start on Saturday. I'd really? I know, I, I kind of had that suspicion for last night's game. It didn't turn out yeah. that way. But I think given that he played 90 minutes, you know, 45 minutes or whatever it is with 10 men, 20 minutes with 10 men, 25 minutes with nine men, physically that's very difficult. Very mm-hmm. difficult. And I think we are going to have to rotate a little bit for, for Saturday and to get some fresh legs in. I know Aubameyang hasn't been training, didn't look fully fit or fully sharp last night, but a few days training under his belt and, you know, let him have a let him have a run, I think. Uh, in the Lacazette role on Saturday that's that's what I would do yeah I think that would be that's one to watch definitely mm. I, I really hope Pepe keeps his place I, I'd be really disappointed if he didn't mm. uh, cool uh, this is a question from uh, Adam at Kleb's World having gone down to 10 men so many times now under Anteta is it unreasonable to expect more of a game plan in this scenario it seemed to me at half time Arteta had already settled for a point in a game which was still winnable I don't know that that's necessarily true. I think when you go down to 10 men, you obviously are going to concede possession and territory to the opposition because, you know, you're you're outnumbered. So you have to stay organised, you have to stay disciplined. Uh, I don't think he, he settled for a point. I wonder how it might have gone had Moutinho not cracked that one in from 30 yards. Mm-hmm. I mean, a brilliant finish, but again, I think we could have closed him down a bit quicker and and what have you uh, and that obviously changes then the dynamic uh, you're forced to try and come out a bit you know I just think it's a really difficult situation 10 against 11 in the Premier League I mean, we found it hard enough with 11 against 11 in the Premier League this season so you know I'm, I can't sit here and bemoan the fact that on a night when it was 11 against 11 and we were so on top that we found it more difficult with 10 against 11 you know um, yeah, especially because we went to nine as well. It does become mm. quite difficult to judge it at that point. Yeah. Okay, let me have a look here. This one comes from uh, Nayef on the Discord. I think it's Nayef. And he says, 
good morning, gents. Would it be better for us to play a one-off game against Benfica or is a two-legged tie better? Um, and this is, you know, based on the idea that because of um, COVID restrictions and what have you, that the Benfica tie might be played at a neutral venue as a one-off game. Yeah. Um, is it better or worse for Arsenal? Well, in terms of the fixture list, it's certainly better. Um, I think a two-legged game generally... I mean, I think... How can I put it? It prevents the risk of something like last night happening. Yeah, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. You get a, you've got a slight safety net. Yeah, I kind of feel like you're more likely to get a kind of true result over the course of 180 minutes, the over 90. That's what my instinct tells me. Um, whether or not that would suit mm. Arsenal is another question. I don't, I, to be honest, I don't really know how good Benfica are, so it's quite difficult for me to say. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I probably would favour two legs, actually. What do you think? I prefer two legs, to be honest. I know from a physical yeah. point of view, we might, uh, we might, I guess some benefit from one game if we were to win that game. But like, you know, if it's a a tight 1-0, you can easily turn that around. You know, a 2-1 away from home, you've got an away goal. You know, those kind of things. Um, I do wonder how it might impact the the integrity of the competition, if you want to call it that, if, if one of the, one of the games in the, this round is decided over one time or one leg and everyone else gets two. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, you know, that is the competition. I hope they should, I think they should try and maintain that as far as possible. Um, Unfortunately, you know, it looks like we won't be able to play a fixture in Portugal. So that Mm. is a problem, but Mm. I guess, you know, they'll just have to play their home leg at a neutral venue. Mm. I've got one more. Will we do one more quick on. one? Yeah, uh, let's do one more. It comes from the chief who's at macho underscore grande one. He says, what would you do with Genduzzi? And do you think he has a future at Arsenal? Any interest in a party Genduzzi partnership? Genduzzi. I asked someone recently how good he's been for out in Germany for Hertha Berlin. And I got quite mixed sort of uh, results. He's been okay, but not set the world light. He's been think. Genduzzi then. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's 21. Uh, what's he got left on his contract? One year just, in the summer. One year. That's a bit of a shame, isn't it? I mean, I don't think there's a future for him at Arsenal. Me neither. Uh, I think they will sell him if they can. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they have to try and recoup some cash for him. I mean, I know we've had used the loan market a lot in January. And yeah. Loans... You know, look at the January market generally. No one spent any money. No. Um, and maybe the summer will be like that too. That's the kind of awkward thing for Arsenal. You know, even the players who we might have been able to sell ordinarily, we're going to struggle to sell because there just aren't buyers. There just aren't people prepared to pay up big fees. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Genduzzi is, of all the players almost that we have, he he's one where you feel like there should be some return on that investment we made. Yeah. I would, my inclination would be, uh, leaving aside, the, you know, the fact that I think, um, you know, his his situation under Arteta is, you know, it is what it is. It's untenable, really. You know, there's a reason why he's out on loan this season. It's not to develop him. It's because they didn't want him around uh, yeah. because of what happened at the end of last season. And there were reasons why he was left out of the squad entirely and why he when we won the FA Cup, posted a picture of himself on Instagram on holiday. You know, fuck that shit. So I think uh, my inclination would be 
sell Genduzi for as much as possible and buy a better player. Yeah, and it's not that I'm not intrigued by the prospects of a parting and doozy partnership. I, you know, I'd love to see it and see what that's like. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I wouldn't be that invested in that partnership either. I just, I just don't really see um, what Gendouzi is beyond a fairly average midfield player, and we've had too many of those down the years at Arsenal. And like I said, buy someone better. Mm-hmm. Parte <laughs> shows you what you can get. Yeah, I so, agree with you about so that. You sure. Okay. All right, look, we have to leave it there for today because of um, time and, and everything else. But if you do want to hear the uh, Transfer Window podcast, you can find it on our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsblog. We will be previewing the Aston Villa game on Patreon as well. And of course, we'll have a regular Arscast for you on Friday. So as ever, thank you very much indeed for listening. Thanks for being here. And we will catch you on the next one. Fuck Craig Paulson. Bye-bye. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.